Actually, the problem is not the tool. The problem is the process feeding the tool. If you implement something, you need first to work on your foundation, on your process, your communication. If not, every problem will be reflected and will be named blue, even if the problems are in the foundation. Hello and welcome to Tech for Finance, where we help finance professionals leverage technology to level up their lives. I'm your host, Adam Schultzen, and in this episode, we're going to be chatting with Nicolas Boucher, who is Head of Finance for Ground Transportation Systems at Talus, but now also provides online training courses for finance professionals looking to take Nicolas's 14 years of experience and skyrocket their finance careers. Nicolas studied in France, where he was awarded his MBA in finance and management before going on to work all over the world starting in Paris before moving to work PwC in Luxembourg and Singapore, before then moving to Germany to work with Talos. Nicolas speaks three languages, French, German, and English, and has two young daughters and enjoys traveling and tasting new types of food. Before we start, if you like what you hear today, please remember to subscribe to Tech for Finance on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. And for more content, head over to techforfinance.com. Nicolas, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. And it was a really good intro. You you did your own work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And did I also see that you grew up in Brittany? Yes. Uh, so really Brittany, the, the French part, so the, the northwest of France um, at the sea. My dad comes from there. My mom comes from uh, Belgium at the Flemish part. And so I have roots next to the sea. And even though I don't live now next to the sea, each time I can go there and... Uh, and also eat seafood. That's for me a, a great source to, to get new energy. Yeah, absolutely. And then we, we used to, to live some time over in Brittany. Um, okay, so, where? so the closest village was a little town called, uh, Boulet-Pistivion, uh, near a town called Calat. Um, okay. I think the, the, the closest kind of bigger town was Gangong. Yes. Closest beach, I think was Tregestel. Um, and then, um, yeah, whenever they had the festival, you know, car festival, uh, we used to be able to hear it from the house. So that's, that's where we were, where we were, but it was, it was a, it was a stone cottage in the middle of nowhere and, and it was lovely. And, and like you mentioning your food, we used to go up to, to Calico or Gangong and we used to, to order kilos of mussels, you know, more melting year with, you know, massive pots and fries and French fries and. Yeah, there, there's some really good memories. So it, it, it brought a smile to my face when I saw that. Um, as a, as a, as a bit of common ground there, I guess. Yeah. Then, I, I mean, it's, it's a place you only go if you want to go there. You don't, you don't go through. It's not like uh, Paris. It's not like um, any big cities. So you go there because you know it or you want to discover it. And what is good is now that with the... Um, uh, with the climate being warmer, there is actually nicer because it's never that warm and um, it's uh, a lot of nature. Um, and I would say it's still so really affordable. So you can have a really a genuine place, original place there, uh, live the experience of people who go there and have nice holidays. And you can, if you like, um, a sea sport, like uh, doing uh, sailing or windsurfing, it's also a great place for that. Yeah, very good. So a recommendation for, uh, a recommendation for everybody thinking of going to, to Brittany, yeah, um, is, uh, no, it's very, very peaceful. Yeah, I love going there because uh, at night the, the sky was totally black. You could see all of the stars. There was, there was not loads of artificial light, you know, obscuring your view. Um, so yeah, we, we, we used to go there to get some peace and quiet and it was, it was amazing. So no, very good. So, I mean, from the intro there, Nicolas, you, you've been all over the world. Um, so how did you end up? Settling in Germany. My wife. <laughs> My wife is German. And um, yeah, when we wanted to, to build a family, uh, we looked at a place uh, with a good work-life balance, also where we can get help from the family. And she found a job here. Um, so I moved also uh, with her here. And I have to say for me, it was good because it helped me continue to learn German and be now fluent in German. And having kids speaking every day to their mom in German. If I wouldn't know any word in German, I would have feel really uh, isolated in this family. Yeah. Uh, but with me, they, we speak French and uh, 
Yeah, for to raise kids, Germany is quite well, quite a good place. And uh, also was a good opportunity to change, um, to go from the accounting world uh, and uh, the financial audit uh, firms, because I worked for PwC, and now to change to go to an industrial company, engineering company, a big group, change also from being an auditor to uh, be now, um, I would say like a controller or financial analyst, yeah. uh, because depending if you are in Europe or in, in the US or UK, what I do is FP&A or controlling. So I would say like I cover these two topics. And um, also within Talents, uh, I cover different topics. I worked on finance transformation, uh, where uh, we implemented uh, the, the start of the business intelligence tools. Then I took over the lead of uh, one of our units where we, I was uh, head of finance there. Uh, so there we produce microwave satellites. Uh, so the, the tubes that you put in satellites, the okay. microwave tubes. And, uh, and recently I moved to the transportation business, which is our main business, uh, working for Deutsche Bahn in the signaling. And that was also a totally different business. You have project, uh, over 50 million uh, euro over five to 10 years. So those are different problematics and uh, I still continue to learn. Very good. Thanks for that. So from your travels around the world, I mean, how, how has that audit evolved to the point where you, you then said, right, well, I don't think audit and processes for me anymore. I want to get more into the into the FPA and the, the controlling, what, what was that? What did that change look like? Yeah. So generally I'm somebody who, who like to work in cycles. So I have a two or three year cycle and at PwC, I had three cycles. I had the first one as a junior where I learned the job. I learned also the industry. I worked in financial services. Then, um, I needed another cycle and I moved to, um, to Singapore where there I learned also another culture. I learned uh, how to implement what I learned and teach that to, uh, to people also in another country because Singapore is still a young office or was still a young office. They, now they are quite mature and they were recruiting people from, um, from us, from Europe, from Australia to bring the knowledge and help the team there develop. Uh, because it's, it was a fast growing uh, area and so they needed more people, more help. So it was really good to bring the best practices uh, to Singapore and also myself to learn there because they had also, uh, other type of, um, of challenges. If you compare it to Singapore, uh, and Luxembourg, Luxembourg is 500,000 people and uh, Singapore at the time was six or 7 million. So if you do insurance for cars. It's, you are not talking about the same, uh, the same level of, uh, insurance yeah. and, um, yeah. And I will say when I came back to Luxembourg to do my third cycle, which is the manager cycle, at the end of this cycle, I was done with what I wanted to learn from audit. And I thought that I see, I saw what the directors and partners were doing. And I didn't feel such a gap between what I was already doing as a manager, working on big clients and the way to go to partner and also what uh, they were doing is not something that for me was such a big change that I wanted to continue to invest so much time. Uh, and yeah, I wanted to see something else. And also it started with the work-life balance to be heavy, uh, because manager, you're already in the middle between the partners wants something from you and the team who needs you. Mm -hmm. And there, there was also, and there is still a, a shift in the audit where you still need to work hard, but now the younger generation, they know that they don't have to. And at our time, it was like, okay, it was still there that you have to. So we were working hard and, and now I would say like the manager now, they have to compromise between all of the pressure from mm -hmm. clients, from partners, from uh, the teams uh, to make sure that people stay and that they are not too over overloaded. And uh, I also thought that the, the job was a bit uh, of managers doing that five or seven years 
Mm -hmm. uh, because director is really the same than a manager or senior manager mm -hmm. that they will have been really heavy without that I was continuing to learn that much and um, with my wife we decided to to move and to to find something with a better work-life balance and that's why we uh, I ended it uh, I ended it here in uh, in Germany and working for Thales but for Thales, I did also uh, 15 years ago or something like that, or 16 years ago, uh, a training uh, internship. And so when when was sure that we moved to Stuttgart, I looked at the French companies and all of the international companies, and I just uh, took to the right persons to, to get an interview. And now I'm here since seven years. Very good. There's, um, there's a Thales office in Doncaster down the road from me. I don't, I don't know what division or, or what they do, but yeah, you know, it's just, they've got a big footprint, right? So, um, sounds, sounds like a good choice either way. So, but anyway, that, that aside, so my, my first question that is maybe a bit of use, usable advice for, for the listeners that, that we've got here today. So a lot of the work I do isn't with really, really large clients. It's in the sort of SME, what we refer to as small to medium sized business and there are challenges, especially with small growing companies when they do have to start doing their first audits or say they're a, a charity or a nonprofit where they're getting audited all the time. It takes them a lot of time and a lot of effort to prepare, have an audit. Sometimes audits can take weeks in worst case scenarios, you know, months, obviously depends on the size of the business, right? So for a smaller team that are just starting to be audited. Um, or for a, a small business that is audited sort of semi-frequently, what advice would you give to make it as painless and, and maybe as short as, as possible? Um, if you can get somebody on board who already experienced audit in another company, I think there you can, it's the, the quick win and the, I would say like the fast track to, uh, to make sure that you will have uh, the process and the documentation set up. Uh, because you have somebody in your team who knows how it works and knows what to expect from the audit. So that will be my first recommendation. If you cannot get that, then you need ready to uh, check with your auditor, what are their expectations? How do they work? And don't wait at the end of the year and the, the closing to prepare. What we used to do with new clients, we used to do uh, pre-audit interim audit and dry runs. A dry run is basically one month before the closing, you make all of the processes once. And if you are comfortable on that, then you just audit the last month. That could be a good way for both the auditor because he's auditing a new company and for the company to make sure that you don't have the pressure of the closing plus the pressure of the audit in one time. Um, we just, you just need to make sure when you do that, that you don't have double, double uh, of uh, work, because if you do two closing, a dry run and a final one, sometimes you double the effort. So the goal is to spread the effort and not to, not to double it. And the last recommendation, um, I will say talk with, uh, um, in your network to people who are used to, to have audit, who have been auditors. So people that are. They don't have, I will say like, um, they are not biased because they are not in your audit process and they will tell you what, how they work, what is to expect from the auditor, how you can also handle the questions, um, what, which topic are really important and to pay attention, which topic you could, I will say, uh, try to temper the, the request and reduce the, uh, the amount of work you have to do for the auditor. No, that's really useful. Thank, thank you, Nicola. So, so I suppose try and not take on too much at the same time, um, try and prepare in advance, um, maybe get an extra pair of hands, um, and then speak to people that have done it before. I think that's really usable advice. Thanks. Thanks for that. Excellent. So, so you mentioned a, a bit earlier on that part of your work at Talos was a, was a transformation project. That, that looks specifically at, at business intelligence. Um, and you don't have to name the tool. I mean, there's, there's, there's no. so, right. Um, but I'm curious to know, you know, for a large organization like Talos, what, what was the business case 
for implementing something like business intelligence. So, so what were you hoping to surface and find out using the tool that you were before? And the second part of that question is now that it's in place, what has that enabled you to see that you wouldn't necessarily have seen before? Are you able to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So first it was the business intelligence plus the whole organization to restructure for finance. Uh, uh, so I was involved in the, the two topics. We, that as before in Germany was different locations and each location was quite independent with their own SAP, with their own, uh, I would say processes, with their own accounting team, mm -hmm. uh, with their own reporting team, controlling team. And the goal was to centralize some of the functions and to leverage on the knowledge of the people. So we started first to consolidate it, to consolidate the ERP, to have only one ERP. And then we plugged the, the business intelligence tool on this ERP. And then when we implement uh, after, uh, it was also a common planning tool to plan the headcounts and the cost centers, because at the top level, the management of Germany wanted to have a view on the function cost, function by function, the headcounts, and the only way to do that was to uh, use uh, both a BI tool and a planning tool to have the data in one place, in one data warehouse with one standard, and that the process is the same for everybody, and that for reporting, we have a single source of truth, and there is no fighting more about which version is the right one. Is it this one or this one? There is only one. And that was, I will say the big win is to stop the discussion about versioning and start the discussion on the, the content of the, of the function cost. Then there was other, uh, yeah, other win is as we consolidated the teams, we didn't replace a lot of people going to retirement. So. We reduce the size of the finance team naturally, like uh, without that somebody had to leave, uh, but each time there was an opportunity, we took it to have, uh, I will say like a central team for accounting, a central team for reporting, a central team also for all of the, the function uh, cost uh, topics. And then we left people in each of the, I will say the locations to be closer to the business, uh, to do. Uh, business controlling or commercial controlling or industrial uh, controlling. And now, like, I would say after this experience, at the beginning, I was really like pro centralization. Having been also now locally, I think there is, there is, I would say a, a hidden value or not a hidden value, but like a value that we underestimate of having people near to the business and really focus on one part of the business. And that's something having the balance between the central functions and the local teams is something that uh, I would say it's a key to for business and not only in finance, but for every topic to make sure that you operate only on with the right team and with the right uh, size of the team. And that's, uh, I would say, I think a lot of companies are, are questioning themselves and uh, looking at that. Um, now, if you use also the right tools, it's not even a problem of where are the people, it's how do they work? So there is a lot of question, I think, and um, there are trends, uh, COVID change, uh, other trends with remote. I guess what we'll see in new trends is people working more and more for themselves and uh, companies uh, using freelancers. So we're going to see uh, the change of the, the workplace and the, and the, the business environment. Mm -hmm. Fab, thanks for that. And I think what, what you were indicating there as well is the relationship between either a finance center of excellence or a, a departmental center of excellence, being able to work as part of the whole. So as you say, you know, there is scope so the individuals or teams can become specialists in a certain subject, 
whilst ensuring that work is still communicated to, to the wider business. And I think that is front and center at the moment, because as you mentioned, you know, people going into retirement, people moving on, we can't really have that, those silos anymore where people are, we're being overly protective. You know, this is my data. This is my process. You know, I, I don't want to share it, but what you're saying there is not a case of, right, well, we're we're introducing technology to replace. We're not introducing technology to play big brother or keep tabs on people. We're introducing it so that everybody can work better together. You know, if, if that's a fair yeah. summary, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and also what I found is that if you bring a tool, let's say you name the tool, I don't know, uh, uh, blue and, uh, like six months after people will complain and we just mentioned the name blue everywhere. <laughs> and if you replace blue by the name of the process is actually the reality. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will just use this name because it's easier for the brain also complain about things about their work and the, the processes where actually the problem is not the tool. The problem is the process feeding the tool. The communication between the people that when they put something inside or where they use it, they don't use it the same way, or they don't, they are not aligned with what they should uh, do. And if you implement something, you need first to work on your foundation, on your process, your communication. If not, every prem will be reflected and will be named blue, even if the prems are in the foundation. Yeah. No, and, and, and you're absolutely right. We, we see that all the time, you know, and, and Sometimes people think that the technology is the silver bullet that's going to solve, solve everybody's problems. And, and now a lot of technology is still quite expensive, you know, and, and, and people think, you know, yeah, if we, if we throw enough money at something, you know, if we invest in all of these tools, then, you know, everything's going to be better. Right. But as you say though, it's not always the case, you know, you mentioned the foundations, you know, technology to surface data quickly will only surface data of a bad process quickly. So all you were doing is speeding up a bad process, you know? So, so what you want to be doing is tackling the foundations, as you say, and then only using technology at the point where it then has a use as opposed to just, you know, and, and I'm going to try and get them on the podcast at some point, and I, I can't remember the name of the business, but it's a new service that will basically search for all of your technology spend, you know, because without knowing it, you can have, you know, one software as a service application where you're spending X amount per month. And then in no time at all, you've got five, six, seven, eight pieces of software that you will think are helping, you know, somebody uses this bit of software here, somebody uses this bit of software here, but actually you're just spending and not getting much result from it. So that, and again, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, but there. And I, I can confirm that having 2000 people uh, in the company I am working for now, you have also three locations, you have engineering, you have research, um, you have manufacturing, you have supply chain, you have all of the function, plus you have a group above you. It's you have, I'm validating, uh, invoicing invoice, and I'm seeing names and names and names of softwares. And I'm just thinking, I, each time I ask why you, your team and the other team are not using the same software. And so there is always a good reason, but is I'm always checking if we are not using twice the different software for the same purpose. And it's a big, uh, it's also a big problem because IT was before I would say the master of the temple and uh, the, the safekeeper and make sure that there is only one roadmap. But now companies are going directly to the functions. So the, the vendors and say, you don't need IT with this tool. You can do it alone. And then. It's, it becomes really hard for, uh, for company to keep up and have one roadmap, uh, where tools make sense together. Yeah. And, uh, again, like before with central local, it's a big dilemma on how do you deal with that? Yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. And sorry, my, my children are screaming in the background. I don't know whether you can I didn't hear. hear. Oh, good. Good. The microphone is doing its job of cutting out the background noise, <laughs> which, which is great. Yeah. But as you say, I mean. Now you can sign up for a trial of software for free, you know, and, and, oh, just to get this new feature, all you've got to do is you've got to pay, you know, five or a month or 10 pounds a month or something like that. And anybody can do that. You know, if they've got a bit of budget, oh, that's fine. We've got some money left over, but 
you know, take the number of planning tools that are out there, take the number of, you know, budgeting tools that are out there, as you say, you know, sometimes a single team, you know, forgetting about, you know, whether it's a group or different departments or different locations or anything like that, you could end up with two or three planning tools, two or three budgeting tools, you know, and everybody's using a slightly different one. So what you're doing there is you're creating silos with software. Previously, you're creating silos with information and process, right? Now you're creating silos in software because everybody's using a different tool. So I think that's a very fair point. If you've not got IT governance that's saying before anything is procured, you know, it needs to go through this sort of sanity check to say, are we already using something like this? It is becoming a bit of a, bit of a mindful and, and I'd be interested to see how that, that goes. And because with less reliance on IT, with the likes of cloud software, where all of the infrastructure, all of the hardware is already bundled into, into the software, it's becoming easier and easier now just to sign up for stuff. So I, I don't envy your job, but as you say, going through the supplier invoices and thinking, hang on, I don't recognize this day. What's, what was going on there? So yeah, challenges. And one, one big point is of obviously if you work in finance, it might not be your own decision, which tool you're going to use. But it's going to be the reality that you have to work with different tools. And I always compare uh, our working environment with that. Yes. You have, you can download, you download the app really quickly and you don't need to go through a one week training to use uh, the app. It's, uh, you can use it straight away. And when now I would say like the younger generation, I think they are easier with this, but for all of the finance people. You really need to bear in mind that we are now in this generation where tools come and go, and when they come, they have to be used really quickly. So you yourself as a user, don't expect like, the, like for five or 10 years ago, where you will get one month of training and then a lot of documentation. No, forget about that. You get access, you'll get maybe uh, if you're lucky, uh, intro in a presentation plus slides. And then you need to figure out yourself and, uh, it's the reality. And it, like I say, it's like apps here. What is good is that now the vendors, they also provide a lot of documentation. So you can go on their website, you can go on YouTube. So go yourself, search for their information, but don't wait that their information is coming to you and try always to identify who are the key users using the tool. And that's, I would say the, the recipe to. You have to work well with tools because that's part of your toolbox. And if you want to be efficient, you need to know how to use uh, the toolbox and the tools inside. Absolutely. And, and for people that are listening on audio, not on video, uh, Nicholas picked up his, his iPhone there and was, was comparing this to, and um, the concept of downloading an app on a phone, right? You know, and, and it's, it's a fair summary, you know, with everything being plug and play now, you know, whether it's an enterprise application or whether it's, you know. ERP, you know, whatever the software is, we are becoming more and more a generation of it's an app for that, you know, just, just download it and plug it in. But you, you make a very, very valid point there. You know, it's one thing to download an app. It's another thing to know how to use it. Um, and it's another thing to continue using that app to realize the benefit. So yeah, no, that, that's all fair, fair points there. So that, that touches on the point of training there, you know, you download an app. You know, go, go to the, to the supplier, you know, YouTube channel, you know, immerse yourself in those, those, those learning, uh, learning materials there to make sure that you are making best use of it. But coming on to what you do then, Nicholas, so you are now taking your 14 years of experience and passing that on to, um, to finance professionals to, to skyrocket. I love that skyrocket their, their finance careers, which, which is great. So what. What was the, the tipping point there? What, what made you decide, right, I've got this experience. Now I want to translate that into to online training courses. Can you take us through that thought process? Yeah, sure. So as I moved from, uh, from PwC to Thales, I had first my own learning experience where I had to learn a new language, new company, new industry, new, um, new job. I moved from uh, audit to, to controlling. Open new tools. We talked about uh, business intelligence. So I was look, looking into a lot of information that I had to, to learn by myself. And at PwC, you have a whole environment of trainings and also training set up during the year to learn that. But 
in other companies is not as, uh, I would say like, as formal, is not as uh, well-established. And so I had myself to look online, to look uh, at uh, ways to learn. And so I first moved to LinkedIn for that, my, because I wanted to be surrounded by people who knew about these topics. I wanted to learn from them. And so I started using LinkedIn for that. And after a while, uh, once these topics were, uh, I would say like, I mastered also these topics, I learned my new job and uh, I was comfortable. I thought I w it's my turn to give back mm -hmm. and uh, to teach first what I learned in audit. Because in audit, I was always doing that with the teams as uh, first, I think you start the second year that you already coach people, then you're senior and you manage a small team, then manager you manage separate teams uh, together. So I always coached. I was also teaching Excel there. I was also teaching audit. I was also teaching auditing insurance companies. So I, I think I, I teach and coach uh, for 100 people uh, or over 100 people at PwC. Mm -hmm. And then I also teach Luxembourg to, in Luxembourg to different nationalities, French, Germans, um, Belgians, but also we had people from Romania. Uh, and then when I went to Singapore, I also had uh, Singaporean, I had Malaysian, I had uh, Vietnamese, I had uh, Australians. So I had different nationalities and I always felt comfortable also explaining to, explaining to different cultures. And, uh, I wanted to do that, uh, to continue to do that. First, I started sharing on LinkedIn and uh, also, you know, when you share and you teach is a good way to learn because you are not going to explain something that you don't master. Mm -hmm. So there is a saying that if you want to learn something, teach it to somebody else. And, uh, for me, it really works as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the first point. And this year, um, there was a point where really a lot of people asked me to help them and I cannot, like, I don't have the, the bandwidth to, to help people and to take uh, along people uh, on their journey. So I decided to use the power of technology to create an online course. Yeah. And I made uh, eight hours of videos covering everything about budgeting and forecasting, because that's something I had to learn because you don't learn that in audit. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, having now done uh, seven uh, budget uh, seasons for different type of companies and uh, Thales is quite a heavy uh, topic. So I'm always uh, inside that. So I know how to, how to do that. Uh, then the world financial analysis, it's a part where a lot of accountants want to move to FPNA and they want to learn about that. So how do you analyze margin? How do you analyze the variance for a manufacturing company? How do you analyze a project? How do you, uh, how can you also in a meeting answer to a question about figures, even if you don't have the, the response. So how can you calculate really quickly in your mind using some tips uh, that I gave in my course mm -hmm. to give uh, like uh, an estimate and to make sure that you move forward in the meeting and not wait at the analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a big part as well, we do a lot of work in finance. But our work is only valuable if you can explain it to non-finance people. Yes. So how do you make presentation? How do you explain finance figures to other people? And um, yeah, how do you talk to your CEO, CFOs, to other companies, to other uh, management, other stakeholders? Right. So I also give all of my experience with uh, uh, doing financial presentation in this in this course, and so. I packaged out, it's uh, also kind of a toolbox. Mm -hmm. People have different needs. People also in their career, they, sometimes they need something about budgeting. Sometimes they need to do a, a presentation. And with my course, you don't need to go from A to Z. Mm -hmm. You can just choose first a topic about financial presentation. And then one week after you can look a video about uh, how to improve your reporting. Then uh, you can have a focus on sales forecasting. So the course is made as a toolbox that you can keep because it's lifetime access and that helps you basically have a mentor that you don't have and there you have access to that uh, with this course. Perfect. So from 
from your, your five modules and, and, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but for, from what I can see, you've mentioned a couple there. So there's, there's five modules, how to analyze variances, which you mentioned there, how to perform a quick analysis, which is what you would, I think, talking about in your head, you know, how, how do we estimate how to make your reporting faster, how to become a better business partner and how to make Excel and PowerPoint work for you. From those, and, and it ties to it. So one of the questions I had is what do you think the biggest skills gaps are when, when you're speaking to people that are signing up for the course, but maybe I'll change the question slide to say from those five modules, I don't know whether you've got any way of analyzing it, but do you have any way of understanding which one of those modules is most popular? Because that, that might speak a little bit more about where people are self, um, self-assessing and trying to work out themselves what their skills gaps are. So is there a module that's most popular? Is there a gap that people are trying to fill? So that's interesting because I did a, I did a questionnaire and the three biggest one, which is, uh, the first one is on analysis, uh, -huh. uh where also there is a lot inside. I really put a lot of, because I think it's the basis, the rest. Once you master analysis, you can learn the rest really quickly. Um, then budgeting and, uh, business partnering slash storytelling. Mm -hmm. Those are the three areas that people, uh, really loved in the course and where it provide them value. Some of them, they already knew about budgeting. So this area didn't help them much, uh, but they loved uh, how to, to make financial presentation and, uh, how to to learn new analysis. Uh, they also get templates in my course. So they, they use the templates for their own job. Other people, they come maybe from audits. So they have a clue about financial analysis, but they never did budgeting. So then they use budgeting, uh, the, the module uh, first. And, uh, then people were more focusing on soft skills. Then they love the part uh, about business partnering and uh, storytelling. And, uh, I will say for PowerPoint and Excel, it was. I would say like, uh, the tips that I share and, um, also along the process, when I could show something about PowerPoint or Excel, I show that also a, a bit in the course, uh, because I think, um, it's something that can help people be more efficient. Yeah. And I was, I was having a chat to, so here in the UK, I, I think they're still in uh, mostly in the UK at the moment, even though I think their their community is all over the world. It's. It's an organization or a group called grow CFO, um, and you can, you can get membership and it's, it's an online community. Um, and I was chatting to, to a guy called Kevin who, who runs their podcast. Um, by the time this is released, we'll already be in 2023. So I think my, my conversation with him, with him will probably also be released around the same time, but your point there about business partnering, they've kind of indicated as a trend for 2023. Um, we've been talking about it for, for a while, you know, the, the likes of, you know, Christian Frantzhansen and, and Andes, obviously they, they do the, the, the business partnering institute, don't they? So, so they've been focusing on it for a while, but I think now that people's careers are more focused towards not just the finance operational piece, you know, people are wanting to scratch that itch to say, look, you know, how, how do I become a better business partner? Because with technology soaking up a lot of the the, the boring stuff to do, you know, I need to be investing my time in other areas where I can create more value. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that in, in 2023. So maybe for you, maybe extend the course a little bit, you know, have some more modules, you know, focus a little bit, may, maybe break it out a little bit, you know, more on storytelling, more on business partnering and that sort of stuff. We, you'll only see from the data, right? So yeah, more questionnaires, you know, that sentiment, you know, what, what do I need to be doing more of? And I think, yeah, the business partnering will continue to be a trend, not just for 2023, but. You know, okay. that's why in the course, what I did is let's say if you take, um, the PVM analysis, PVM yeah. is price volume mix. So how do you, do you analyze the changes of price and volume, um, to, to know how move your margin or your sales. And I just don't teach the method. What I have at the end is how do you use it in real life? Mm. And there is where if it's, even if it's not part of the module business partnering, but it's where I teach a lot of tips on how do you implement that in your company? How do you talk with your stakeholders? How you, do you get the information? And then how do you make a follow-up plan? And those are topics where if you don't talk about the method and the content, it's really hard 
because it's too theoretical. Uh, if you just talk about, okay, help your stakeholders. Okay, but how, which technique should I use first? How do I prepare that? And by going first in analysis method and show how do you uh, use it in your business partnering model uh, and role, then you, I would say like you have the full spectrum of what finance needs to do. Always have a good basis on finance because we are not only people, uh, we are not only business partners, we are finance business partner. Mm -hmm. Then how do you, everything that you created for yourself and for finance, how do you make it available for the company? Mm -hmm. Relevant. So sometimes we are really good at putting our head inside our Excel, stay three days inside and doing something nobody needs. Yeah. So first ask what people need, and then you can put your head inside, then leave your, like lift your head up, uh, two or three times and don't stay three days, but go yeah. and check. Is it something good that what I'm doing? Oh, you need something different. Okay. I'm going to, to adjust. And there you are going to provide a lot of value mm. because you are going to use your time for, um, I would say the, the most efficient way and the most valuable way for the company. Yes. No, I'd, I'd, I'd totally agree. And, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there and doing the right things with you know, how do you put this in, into action being part of the part, part of the outcome there, because it's one thing to know something, it's another thing to actually put it into practice. And, and I think that's why your content and your following does so well on LinkedIn is because it's not just training, you know, it's not just insight. It's not just a point of view. It is actually actionable. And that's, that's what people want now. It's not just a case of learning something. It's how do I actually put this into action? And um, so I think, no, it's, it's really good to, to focus on. So thank you for that. So appreciate coming up to time. And um, have you got a couple of, and what I'll do is, um, I'll, I'll take some of your LinkedIn posts if, if I may, and I'll copy the links and I'll put them in the, the show notes just to give some people examples of the sort of content that you, you're putting out. And of course, I'll encourage people to, to follow you. But from there, or whether it's, you know, a couple of bits from your course, so that my listeners have got something actionable to, to take away. Have you got maybe a tip or two that people can focus on, people that can start doing now is sort of a, a hint at what they get in your course that, that people can take away from this? Uh, yeah, so I think one, one thing I learned um, when you do financial presentation is how do you prepare a financial presentation before doing the presentation? And there are two things that works really well to make it more su successful. Yeah. First, if you have bad news, first, uh, <laughs> if you have bad news, don't wait the presentation to talk about the bad news. So let's say you just did your, you analyzed your sales of the month and you missed uh, by 20% uh, your target. Don't wait one week to go to the board and present that. You call straight away the people that is your main, um, I would say point of contact, mm -hmm. can, be the C can be the CFO or the, I would say like the guy, uh, um, maybe your first, your manager, then the CFO above him or the manager above him, but make sure that it is known before the meeting. Because if it's a news in the meeting, the meeting is not going to go well. <laughs> it needs to be a news before the meeting, yeah. And so it's already digested. And in the meeting, you are going to talk about how do we solve that? Yeah. Not why it happened, but the why should be solved before the meeting. Yeah. People yeah. don't need to go in a meeting to understand about the question. They can read emails. They can get uh, phone calls. They need to sit together at a table to take and make decisions. So that's the first point. The second, and that's um, a bit linked to that is to understand in a meeting, what is inner agenda of the people you are going to talk to. Mm -hmm. And again, identify one or two stakeholders that you can talk easily and that you can talk on the phone and call them before the meeting one or two days and ask, okay, is there something specific that you want to see? Is there a question that you have that you want me to answer on this meeting? If you think that you want to bring something new, ask. Do you think that will be valuable? If you think something has been shown three or four times, ask, okay, can I take it away or put it in the backup because it doesn't bring value. And having this uh, conversation before the presentation will help make your meeting 
much more successful. And you have also somebody, I would say like, um, in front of you, which is there for you and can vet for you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, because it's going to be your common decision to, to, to focus on one topic rather than another one. And if somebody else comes and say, why do you talk about that? The other guy is going to first to define you say, no, no, it's, we agree with that. And, uh, that was my uh, decision. So you have already somebody, uh, even if he's not in your team, but he's now in your team, helping you also succeed in this presentation. And that will avoid you also make work or work on your presentation that uh, half of the slides is for nothing because nobody wanted to see that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, or that you go in the presentation, somebody wanted to talk about revenue and you have just one line when they want five slides. So it will also prevent you extra work for after the presentation. Very good. Thanks for that. So yeah, two, two main tips there. So one, have hard conversations as early as possible. Don't leave them for the presentation because it will be derailed. Yeah. <laughs> I think is a good one. I mean, yeah, is is it? It's a different topic on how you build the courage to have those difficult conversations before the presentation because nobody wants to give bad news, do they? So no, that's that's no, but uh, nobody hates late bad news. Oh yeah, uh, have a bit. Uh, so nobody wants late bad news. Nobody yes. wants bad news, but late bad news is even worse. Even worse, yeah, yeah absolutely. And then point two is early buy-in from the people that are integral to the meeting. Yeah, what what do you want to see? What do we need to focus on? And then, as you quite rightly say, if you pre-agree that agenda, then you've got more support when it comes to presenting those topics. So no, that's really useful. Thanks, thanks for that, Nicholas. So last question then. So podcast website tech for finance. So whether it's your personal or professional life, what is one piece of software, one gadget, one piece of tech that you couldn't live without? Um, I think my phone first, <laughs> because being somebody who is, I'm a foreigner or, or I feel a citizen of the planet and not of a town. Yeah. So I need a ways to be connected with my family abroad, my friend abroad. Uh, I'm a lot into also, um, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter to get the news, um, also to follow sport. I was in Qatar for the World Cup. Uh, I, I watched two games. So it was really great to see that by myself. Um, yeah. And I will say, uh, right now, what I really like is, uh, listening to a business podcast, but not pure business. I would say like fun business podcast. Yeah. There is one, I don't know if you know, the, my first million, it's a podcast where two guys, uh, had already a business before, so each of them separately, um, yeah. in the e-commerce or internet business and they sold it yeah. and now they have more time and they talk about every business they could do or what is their opinion about it. And they invite people and you discover a lot of niche that you are. <laughs> You don't know about and a lot of, uh, e-commerce or internet, uh, technique and, um, yeah, it's a great way to, to be motivated and the guys are also really funny and, uh, it's really, uh, it's a good entertainment. I will say like infotainment for me <laughs> to, to spend time in my free time. Perfect. And what, what do you use for your podcast? Do you use Spotify or do you use Apple or? Well, when my kids listen to their own uh, kids' music, I have to use Apple for the podcast because I didn't get a family plan yet, but soon I guess I will have to get one. Uh, but uh, no, usually I use Spotify. Um, I was a DJ before. Oh yeah. Uh, and um, I, when I have to think that how many uh, cases of CDs I had uh, in a car. And like set up on a table and now like I did one or two parties where I just had my phone and I just had like one playlist prepared in advance and, uh, with a good, like you can set up, uh, the, uh, the, the fading uh, in and fading out. And that's a, a great party. The wonders of technology, eh? Uh, no, we, we, we used to do that. So I used to play, um, play guitar at weddings. And, and we used to do that. So, so live, live band for, you know, the first couple of hours. Um, but then as soon as it came to the, to the disco portion, it was literally just a, a phone on Spotify booked up to the PA with a preset playlist and we, we could go and have a beer, like just leave it doing its thing. It was so easy. Yeah, really good. Yeah. But it's, well, it's, it's, it's still important to, I would say you can decide on the next two songs. 
Yeah. But you need to feel to be there and have uh, to be able to switch quickly because uh, it might be that the mood of the party is not like what you think is going to be in 20 minutes. And so it's good to have your playlist and then you readjust based yeah. on, uh, okay, now I guess this song will make more impact than the other song. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you don't have to search too much. You have to go inside your playlist. Uh. And, uh, but that's what I did before as well as a DJ. I had my CDs and I knew, okay, if now it's not working, I have an A, B, C, D. Yeah. And uh, I would use them. And if the mood was there, uh, then I was going on a new series of new styles and, and uh, then it was uh, working well. Yeah. But, yeah. But it's a fair shout on having a different account for the kids. And, and, and I'll, I'll let you go after this. But um, so I listen to podcasts in my car, right? Um, so it takes, I'm not in there all the time, but it takes me just short two hours to get to the office. Yes. Um, and the podcast I've been listening to recently, um, quite a popular one is, uh, is diary of, uh, of a CEO. That's, that's quite a good one. Um, and then I listen to, you know, all, all sorts in between. I've got very, very collected, um, taste in podcasts, but let's say that the family get up and it's eight o'clock in the morning and they decide to ask Alexa to play baby shark. I'm kicked out. So why can't, why can't, or, or you get a call from your wife. Are you using that? Oh, yeah. Are you, are you on Spotify? Yeah, that's it. So uh, no, we did, uh, we did have the family plan, but for whatever reason it reset. So I need to, I need to get that set up again. So, but which we digress. So anyway, Nicholas, where, where can people find out more about you? Uh, first on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, um, Nicolas Boucher, you will see my face and, uh, I guess, uh, you, if you see colors about blue and uh, orange, that's my personal branding. So it's me. I have also a website, uh, nicolasboucher.online, where now I posted a lot of information in my blog, in my blog. And, uh, if you already somebody motivated and wants to take your career a bit further and you don't have help in your environment, you don't have a good manager or in the university, you didn't feel that you learn enough, then, uh, just try my course or you get a call with me and uh, I can help you. So all of the links are on my uh, LinkedIn profile. Uh, and uh, if also you need any help for interview, I just launched last weekend uh, a guide with the 50 most asked questions uh, oh, in, uh, in finance interviews and also how to answer them. I think, I, yeah, because you did a LinkedIn post, didn't you? I think I saw that. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So yeah, but I'll link to all of that in show notes as well. So it's Nicola, which is N-I-C-O-L-A-S. Yes. And then Boucher, which is B-O-U-C-H-E-R. Exactly. Yep. LinkedIn and online. Perfect. Thanks ever so much for your time, Nicholas. It's been perfect. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. And um, I wish you a lot of success for the new guests. And thank you for doing that for all of the people who need inspiration in finance or just need like to have opinion or views from somebody else that maybe in their own network environment, they don't have access to. So now with, uh, with technology and internet, podcast, LinkedIn, YouTubes, we all can have access to that. So thank you for doing that. Absolute pleasure. And thanks again, Nicole. It's perfect. Great stuff. Right. How do I stop the recording now? Oh, there we go.